Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8 to 10. Eating disorders. And then the final sermon in the series will be on insomnia, sleeplessness, sleeping problems. And then God willing, I'll start a series on the Holy Spirit after that. So eating disorders from Hebrews 13 verse 8 to 10. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Most high God, what a wonderful time of praising your name through testimonies and scripture reading and prayer and song and the fellowship of your people. What a wonder it will be if the Son of Man would now appear on the clouds of heaven, if the sky would burst and Christ would come with all his holy angels and the glory of his Father. And Lord Jesus, if you would return as the judge of all men, every man, woman, boy, girl, every angel, every demon, and every knee will bow to you, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. But now, while we are here, we pray that you would give us an open mind and open ears and a heart that is tender and soft and sensitive to the Spirit and the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Speak, for your servants listen. In Jesus' name, Amen. How did sin come into the world? Eating. Yep. Eve saw the fruit was good for food, a delight to the eyes. And since then, people have made an idol of food. Very often that happens. We've got a wrong way we approach this whole issue. Why did God give us food? <clears throat> not just so you can live for joy, for joy. enjoyment um, Psalm 104 verse 14 and 15 speaks of different kinds of foods and God has given it to enjoy and we enjoy it especially when we share with others uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4 false teachers will come bringing the teachings of demons and they will come and these teachings will come through liars who have hardened consciences, their consciences are burnt and seared, and they will, they will require abstinence from certain foods. You're not allowed to eat that. You shouldn't eat this. Otherwise, God won't be pleased with you. And they're going to say you may not get married because that's not very spiritual. And obviously, that happened even in Paul's day. But later on, you saw that with the Roman Catholic Church. A monk shouldn't get married, and the priest shouldn't get married. Uh, not that it's wrong to remain single, but it's not wrong to get married either. And then don't eat this, and you must more spiritually if, if you eat that kind of food, and so on and so forth. But God has given us all things to enjoy, all things created good, and it's made holy by the word of God and prayer. We accept, we accept it with a thankful heart. We pray with thanksgiving before we eat. And God has given us richly all things to enjoy, says 1 Timothy 6 verse 17. But what happens is people make an idol of food. We call that gluttony. Or they make an idol of their bodies. We call that anorexia. 
or bulimia. It becomes an obsession. Now, what's the biblical solution to this? Let's read Hebrews 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent or the tabernacle have no right to eat. So to solve this problem of eating disorders, we're going to have three commands. Command number one, focus on Christ. And I find that in verse 8. Now everything changes in the world. So for instance, in the, in the immediate context of Hebrews, the old covenant changes. The old covenant is done away with. Uh, Hebrews 8 verse 13 it's busy moving away. There's a new covenant. The Old Covenant, Old Testament, all, not that we throw away the Old Testament. You know I preach the Old Testament in this church. But the Old Covenant with Moses, those were all kinds of types and shadows, animal sacrifices and priests. But in the New Covenant, we've got the final sacrifice. Jesus, the Lamb of God. We've got the final priest. Jesus, our high priest. So everything changes. Creation changes. I mean, you've seen that. But it's going to change finally when Jesus returns. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and first earth will pass away. The heavens will be rolled up like a scroll. We read in Hebrews 1 verse 10 to 12. And then we change. Do we? Well, my, my father was 1.89 centimeters. and Maybe he's now 1.86 centimeters. Because he's now shorter than my brother-in-law. The body changes. We get older. We get weaker. Our hair color changes, Jeremy. <laughs> yes. We turn gray. And then, so the body gets older, but inside, it also changes. If you're a Christian, you're growing more and more. Paul says that. The inner man's being renewed day by day. So, the old covenant changed. Creation and everything in it changes. We change. What doesn't change? What does verse 8 say? Yes, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. But question now, didn't Jesus grow older? Didn't Jesus get wiser? Luke 2 verse 40 says so. Luke 2 verse 52 says so. He grew in wisdom, wisdom and in stature, in height, when he became a man. So as a human, Jesus changes. But in his divine nature, Jesus, the God-man, his human nature changed Jesus as God does not change. Verse 8. He remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 12 says, But you are the same, speaking of Jesus, and your years will have no end. Jesus calls himself, I am who I am. In John 8 verse 58. Before Abraham was, I am. Referring back to the burning bush with Moses. I am who I am. So Jesus doesn't change. Jesus is always, I am. Jesus is not, I am becoming. <laughs> I was. No, I am. I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O Israel, or you, O Jacob, are not consumed. Malachi 3, verse 6. So it proves to us Jesus is God. So if Jesus does not change, does he still have the power to save people today, like he did yesterday and Will he still have the power to save people tomorrow? Will he still be good enough? Though he has the power, maybe he turns bad. 
And then he doesn't want to save people. No, Jesus is the same. Verse 8, yesterday, today, and forever. Now, if we apply this to eating disorders, then Jesus can still save people even from eating disorders, from making an idol either of the body or making an idol of food. Like a friend of mine who weighed 191 kilograms, and God changed that. He said, apart from exercise and diet, which was part of it, he said the greatest factor in getting the weight down by 90 kgs was prayer. He asked the Lord, help me. So that's the one side on gluttony. The other side is someone I know, and I sent the person a message this week and say, please will you mind, tell me the story again. I want to use this in a sermon. So this woman... She had a boyfriend, and when the boyfriend broke up with her, she just thought, the reason he broke up with me is because I'm a bit overweight, and so I'm going to stop eating. And she did. You know, it's that kind of thing, you'll eat a provita or two provitas the whole day. And so she got anorexia. And then when she got anorexia, now kids, if I guess you know what anorexia is. You don't eat and you become very, very thin, just bones. And so she was so thin and then she thought, now now I won't be accepted. Now I'm too thin. Now I'm ugly. And then start eating again. And then she gets a boyfriend or the relationship is restored. And then she's happy again. And then she feels rejection or doesn't work out. And then she stops eating again. Back to anorexia. And then back to normal weight. And then a bit overweight. And so it went. And God changed her. God saved her, and God changed that. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, if you can do it for those people, anyone you know with problems, either gluttony uh, or the other side, anorexia and bulimia, can Jesus set them free? Can Jesus save them? Can Jesus change them? How do you know? How do you know Jesus can do that? What does verse 8 say? Because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He can still do that. Jesus is, if, he's, if Jesus is the same yesterday, today, forever, then his knowledge doesn't change either. Jesus doesn't gain more knowledge with scientific research. Oh, now we've really figured it out with science and now Jesus knows more. Now he knows how to help people with eating disorders. No, his knowledge doesn't change and Jesus' knowledge is perfect. Also, with regard to this issue, with regard to every single person and all the foods he created in the world, he's got perfect knowledge. And so if he has perfect knowledge, then the Bible gives us Enough principles and enough teaching to deal with this issue of eating disorders. Although, although you might not find a verse saying the word eating disorder, but the biblical principles are there for us to deal with this matter. His words don't change, do they? Does Jesus change? No. Do his words change? No. Because he said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Matthew 24 verse 35. The word of the Lord remains forever and endures forever. So, why did God give us food, real told us, for enjoyment, and someone else said for nourishment, so we can live? But that's not all. In the Lord's Prayer, we pray, give us this day our daily bread. Why? Why do we need daily bread? What does the next verse say? Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. What does the previous verse say? Just before, give us our bread. Uh -uh. 
Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So in the middle, smack down in the middle, you've got, give us this day our daily bread. Why? So that you would do that side, not this side. So that you would do his will, not sin. You've got energy, so you would honor God. My friend in Paris, uh, Yanni Fosler, when we visit them and he prays for the meal, then he says, Lord, thank you for this food, for your good gifts and all of this. Give us energy through this food and help us to use that energy to do your will, to glorify you. That's why God gives that to us. That's the connection. So in other words, eat so that you can do God's will and do it to the best of your ability. Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards lived in the 1700s, a preacher in New England in the United States. And Jonathan Edwards, he said he would experiment with different kinds of food to see which foods make him sleepy and which give him the most energy and which make him, uh, makes him stay awake so that he can study the Word of God and spend time in meditation and prayer and so that he can prepare for his sermons and spread the gospel. I think that's excellent. Would we call that low GI? <laughs> he didn't know that then. But yes, so Jonathan Edwards did all these different things to see, right, what digests the best. Now, I find that, I find when I don't eat breakfast on a Sunday morning, then I feel a bit shivery in the pulpit when I have to preach. So I know, right, I need to eat breakfast before I come to the morning service. Uh, and I know that if I, especially if I had pasta like this afternoon, or sugar, any chocolate, uh, then I know when I, when I sit studying in an afternoon especially, then my eyes feel heavy. Um, and I don't always obey the doctor on the sugar issue. Alright, so Jonathan Edwards had a spiritual focus, even when it comes to food, and that's exactly what we should do. So verse 8, where should my focus be? On Jesus Christ who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Verse 9, where should my focus be? On grace that is good for the heart, not on food. Verse 9 tells me. So spiritual focus. Who said in the pre-meeting? Oh no, it was someone said before the service. Yes, Niels spoke of Romans 12 verse 1. Giving my body as a living sacrifice. Or 1 Corinthians chapter 6. My body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Glorify God in your body. The Apostle Paul teaches us. Or here's the Kids Club verse. And the Kids Club, I don't, haven't seen them for the for past few weeks on Sunday evenings. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Even eating. Again, spiritual focus. And that'll, that'll, that'll help you. or um, That'll teach you, instruct you, and help you so that you don't make an idol of your stomach. Or make an idol of food. Or make an idol of your body. And forget God. Did, isn't that what God said to the Israelites in Deuteronomy 8? When you come to the promised land and you've, you've eaten to the full and you're satisfied. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. Who has led you out of Egypt. Or what about Proverbs chapter 30 verse 8 and 9. That said, Lord there are two things I ask you. And then one of the things he says, make me neither rich nor poor. So that I will not be full and say, who is the Lord? I don't know God. You must remember it's God who gives you the, these good gifts. Don't turn your attention away from the giver and make an idol of the gift. 
Or like the people in Romans 16 verse 18 where it says they worship their own appetites. Or Philippians 3 verse 19 it says they make an, their, their, their God is their belly. Their own stomachs are their God. They start worshipping themselves and it's all about them. Saying uh, everything is lawful. Of course, everything is lawful for the Christian. But he says not everything is helpful. I won't become a slave of, of anything. Yes, but food is for the stomach and stomach is for the... Uh, Food is for the stomach and the stomach for food. And Paul says, no, no. Your body is given so that you will honor God through your body. Right, number two. Second command that will help us overcome this issue of eating disorders. So the first one, we have then focused on Christ. The second one, sit under biblical teaching. And that's in, we find that in verse 9. So, so the writer says in verse 9, Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. All different kinds of teachings. All strange, strange teachings. How will you measure? This is strange. This is bad. This is not from God. How will you measure it? Measure it by the previous verse. What does the previous verse say? Verse 8 says, Jesus Christ. The same yesterday and today and forever. So any teaching that doesn't focus on Jesus and the biblical Jesus, that's a strange teaching. If he's not at the center. And he warns them, the author warns them, don't be led away by any of those teachings. Why not? Well, obviously because God says so. But another reason, wrong teaching leads to wrong living. Even with regard to eating. Example, Old Testament. Second book of the Bible, chapter 32. What do the Israelites do when Moses is up on the mountain? They do something very bad. Aaron takes all their jewelry and says, bring it to me and then make a golden calf. And they say, let's worship the Lord. We're going to have a feast for the Lord. And God forbade that. He said in the second commandment, you must not make images and say, this is how God is. Bring him down to the level of a cow. And so they start worshipping this idol. And what's the next thing that happens? Overeating. Getting drunk. Being sexually immoral. You see, wrong teaching leads to wrong living. You've got another example of that in Scripture. We find in the book of Isaiah, chapter 22, where God warns the, Is the people of Israel. He warns them, the Babylonians are coming. I'm going to judge you. Because you keep on turning away, you worship idols, false teaching. And then they don't believe God will judge. And they say these words. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. And they have a massive party where they get drunk and they eat too much because they don't believe true teaching. Paul quotes that in 1 Corinthians 15. Those people who don't believe in the second coming of Jesus, those people who say, no, there won't be a resurrection of the dead. And they say the same thing. Let's eat, drink, tomorrow we die. And so you've got eating problems, wrong living, because of wrong teaching and wrong belief. You won't believe the true teaching of God. Now let me, let me bring it even closer to us, to, modern day, uh, to the modern day with eating disorders. The whole self-image cult the self-esteem cult, where they say you must feel good about yourself, you must, you must look at yourself in the mirror and tell yourself how special you are. That's the self-esteem cult. And what happens then 
if you, if you believe that kind of teaching, then you're in trouble. Now, I know there's a good kind of self-love, which we would maybe call uh, a natural self-love. For instance, Mariki, you brush your teeth. Niels, you wash your hair. Nicole, you clip your nails. Or at least paint them. <laughs> and Tani Lynette, if you don't feel very good, you don't feel well, you go to the doctor. You take care of yourself. Paul says that in Ephesians 5, that no one ever hated his own body, but he nourishes it and cherishes it, takes care of himself. So that's not a bad kind of self-love. Then there's another kind of self-love. We are human beings. We are created in the image of God. You're not a rat, you're not a flea. You're a human. And so that's in the same way we should treat other humans. We should see God has created them in his image and we should love them. So that's not bad. And then there's a supernatural self-love. It's not bad. For instance, in Luke 9, Jesus said, Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. For everyone who would try and save his life in this world, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake in the gospel, you will save it. What does it gain a man, or what does it profit a man, gains the whole world, but he loses his soul? You don't want to lose your soul. There's a supernatural self-love, which is not a sinful self-love, to say, I want to preserve my soul. I want to see Christ. I want to worship Him and glorify Him. I want to be with Him. I don't want to die and be separated from God. Okay, that's supernatural because God has saved you. You've got that desire. But then there's a sinful self-love. 1 Timothy 3 verse 2, In the last days people will be lovers of self. All me, myself, and I. So it's all centered on self. And it's that kind of thing that causes problems. So you've got wrong teaching, you believe, the self-esteem cult. And now there's wrong living when it comes to eating disorders because you look at yourself in the mirror and everyone tells you you have to look like a schoolgirl, you know, like an athlete. And if you don't look like an athlete, you're overweight and something's wrong. It's like there's that verse in the Bible that says anything over this, if you're this high, you must weigh that much. There's no such thing in the Bible. And now you feel bad because you, you think, look at me, I'm disgusting, I don't look nice, I'm going to eat worms. Uh, that song. <laughs> and then that leads to depression because of your weight. And then that leads to eating disorders. And so now I don't want to eat, I just want to eat an apple and we... So you want to come and have a meal with us? No, I only eat lettuce and I only eat apples. And, and then it becomes so bad where people have this obsession with their bodies and then it's anorexia and then even bulimia. So what do you need? What's, the, what's one of the first things you need after being born again, of course, being saved? But one of the first things you need to overcome this, this issue of eating disorders, you need verse 8. You need a focus on Jesus. And then you need verse 9. Don't turn away to other teachings, to diverse, to strange teachings, devotion to food. No, a devotion to God, a devotion to Christ and His grace in my heart. That's what we need. Listen, food, food does nothing spiritual for you. Nothing. It doesn't have any spiritual effect in your life. Jesus said that. Oh, why didn't the disciples wash hands before they eat? Jesus said, nothing that enters the mouth can make you spiritually unclean. It's what comes from the heart that makes you spiritually unclean. It's when you idolize the food or idolize your body. But that comes from the evil heart. And the same thing in Colossians 2. I quoted this this morning. Colossians 2 verse 16 and 17. Don't let people judge you because of food and drink and all these other things. 
The substance belongs to Christ. We look to Christ, not to these shadows and all these dietary laws and kosher food laws and so on. We don't look to those anymore. We look to Jesus. It's fulfilled in him. Don't follow these things, these ascetic practices where they say, don't eat that, don't touch that, don't touch, not allowed to eat that food. That's going to make you spiritually unclean. If, if you eat that, that'll, that'll make you acceptable to God. Nonsense. Colossians 2 verse 20 to 23. It tells us that. These things, they, you can think it sounds very wise to be so disciplined and I need to only eat this and only eat. Now, if you've got health issues, fine. Fine, that's good. But just to think that's going to make you more acceptable to God, that is nonsense. Those things have no value in, in, in stopping the indulgence of your sinful nature. It cannot stop sin. To say I'm really disciplined, I do it this way and that way. Acts chapter 10. We are not under the food laws anymore. God declared all foods clean. Jesus did that in Mark 7 verse 19. All foods are declared clean. And Peter had to understand that. I can eat with Gentiles. I'm not spiritual. There's nothing wrong with me now. Suddenly there's something spiritually wrong. Hey, you know, you and I can't pray together because you eat pork. <laughs> so what we do need to have is a focus on verse 9. The grace for the heart. Grace for the heart. So where do we find that grace for the heart? The strengthening of the inner man. The strengthening of my soul. We find it in the word of God. Now, obviously, first, again, you need a new nature, you need to be born again, but then for a Christian, the Word of God. The Bible is the diet we need. The Bible is your meat, Hebrews 5, verse 12 to 14. The Bible is your milk, so your calcium for strong bones and strong teeth, <laughs> spiritually. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, like babies long for milk, you must long for the pure spiritual milk of the Word. You must taste and see that the Lord is good. The Bible is even your sugar, course. <laughs> yes, the word of God is sweeter than honey. It says Psalm 19, verse 10, and Psalm 119, verse 103. And then, Ruf, you're sitting that side. Okay, so the Bible is also your starch. Yes, stasel, it's bread. Uh, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And then Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. So let us be satisfied with that. And if you feed your soul in that way, if you're satisfied with Christ, then you'll understand God is more concerned that you have a pure heart than a beautiful body. If you have a pure heart, yes, you'll take care of your body. But first of all, God looks on the heart. And that's what he wants from us. That's what he desires. You see that in verse 9. Don't be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Charm is deceptive. Beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord should be praised. Proverbs 31 verse 30. God cares about the inward beauty, says 1 Peter chapter 3. The external beauty, not as important. Internal beauty, that's what God desires. That's what He's after. And you will know, if you, if you live like this, you'll know the kingdom of God, it's not about eating and drinking. The kingdom of God is about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Romans 14 tells us that. So because that is so, sometimes, and I, I want to underline that word sometimes, and then use your red pen and circle it. 
Sometimes it's good to fast, to abstain from food. I'm not talking about intermittent fasting, where you just fast for, to look better. I'm talking about spiritual, biblical fasting, where you fast and pray. Why do we need to do that sometimes? To tell your body, I'm the boss. To tell the food, I'm the boss, you're not my boss. And to spend time with the Lord and feed on Him spiritually. To say, that's the most important. I don't, I'm not going to let my body become an idol. I'm not going to worship my body. I'm not going to worship the food. I'm going to worship the Lord. I'm going to find satisfaction in Christ rather than in self. Verse 9. Don't be led away by these teachings. It says in the middle of the verse, don't try to be strengthened by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. You want to strengthen the heart. You want to say with, you want to say with Jesus, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. There's your hunger and thirst. They shall be satisfied. Now, I'm not saying it's going to satisfy your stomach, but it's going to satisfy the soul. And if the soul's satisfied, well, then you'll know how to deal with the food issue and with the body issue. Food, really, it doesn't satisfy. You, you eat, you have to eat again. And then you're stuffed and you promise I'll never eat again. <laughs> and then you eat again. And you eat again and you eat again. Ecclesiastes, Afrikaans Prediker. Ecclesiastes chapter 6. Verse 7. Let me just flip there and read this to you. Ecclesiastes 6 verse 7. Uh, chapter 1 verse 8 says, The eye is not satisfied with seeing nor the ear with hearing. So your body can't satisfy you. You say, look at my beautiful body. It's not enough. You're going to keep on worshipping it and wanting to do more and more. Uh, it's going to ensnare you and trap you. But 6 verse 7 says, All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. So don't work for the appetite. Work for the spiritual food, and you'll find eternal satisfaction. Anyone who focuses on self, well, God will give you what you want. You'll end in hell with yourself, without God. Because you don't want God, you want self. That's most important to you. And I'm not saying that if you're too thin or too fat, you won't get even. That's not, not what I'm saying. Some people have, have weight issues, either too much weight or too little because of sickness or because of medication. And so they've got problems with that. The, the question is, do you worship your stomach? The question is, do you worship your body? Do you worship food? And if that's the issue then you can expect God's judgment. Because you're making an idol, you've turned away from the living God to worship created things, whether it's yourself or something else. And then whether you, whether you are overweight, whether you are medium, whether you are well-built, or whether you're too thin, you'll, you'll come under the judgment of God. Wasn't that one of the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah? Why God judged them? Yes, there were many sins, one of them being homosexuality, probably the great one, but... Overeating was one of them. Ezekiel 16 verse 49. Go and read that. That's why God judged Sodom. And then Galatians 5. People worshipping other gods. Idols. Making idols of stuff. And a lot of things mentioned there. Also overeating mentioned when he speaks of orgies. Orgies was wild, sex, sexually immoral parties, drunken parties, overeating parties. And you see there such people will not inherit the kingdom of God. And finally, number three, third command, 
to overcome eating disorders is satisfy your soul. Satisfy your soul. And that we find in verse 10. Now, in Israel, um, verse 10 tells us, we read of people who serve in the tent. People who serve in the tabernacle. You remember what happened in, in the temple or the tent, the tabernacle? They would bring sacrifices, animal sacrifices, slaughter a lamb, slaughter a goat, uh, kill a, a bull. And then it would be some sacrifices they would burn up completely. And then other sacrifices the priests could eat. It would be like a bride. Um, and they would, uh, you can read that in Leviticus 7, the priests would eat of the sacrifices. That was God's way of providing for them. But there was also a picture, symbolism in that. That was a picture of Jesus who would one day come, the sacrifice, and we eat of his sacrifice. Don't we sing that, one of our songs? Um, uh, the, the song about the Lord's table? We eat of his sacrifice. And John 6, that's what uh, Ruth read to us, where we read of Jesus and he said, you must eat my flesh, you must drink my blood. He doesn't mean literally. They persecuted Christians in the early church because they said these cannibals, they're drinking blood and eating, eating people's meat. But that wasn't true. Jesus meant spiritual food. We must feed on Christ by faith and on his word by faith. And where do we, where do we celebrate that? Where we eat of Christ and drink of Christ, we symbolize that and picture that when we eat the bread and drink the wine. And feed on Christ spiritually. Everyone who comes and, and by faith does that. Because verse 9 again, the heart must be strengthened by grace. And then verse 10, we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. Meaning, even the Old Testament priests, they have no right to eat this. Just because you're a priest, you need to be born again. You need to be saved. And then we feed on Christ. Then we eat the bread and drink the wine to commemorate the death of Jesus for our sins. To say, that's just a picture of the real feast, of feasting on Jesus Christ and being satisfied with Him. And for who is that meant? Who can eat of the bread and drink of the wine? Any Christian. Any Christian. He says in verse 10, not even those who serve in the tabernacle or the temple. Those priests, they're not allowed to eat of this. Unless they repent and believe in Jesus Christ. And so, Roman Catholic Church, Middle Ages, only they had priests, remember, they still do. They believe that only the priest, he may eat the bread and drink the cup. Now today, everyone may eat the bread, but only he drinks the cup. But in the Middle Ages, only he was allowed to eat and drink. This writer says, no, we have a right as Christians. We have a right to eat of that altar, not meaning the altar like in the Old Testament where they burned the animals, but meaning Christ, who was sacrificed for our sins. Because every Christian is a priest. 1 Peter 2 verse 5 and 2 verse 9. Every Christian can bring spiritual sacrifices. Every Christian can come to God in prayer. And the sacrifices we bring, it's praises, it's prayer, it's sharing with other Christians... It's giving to missions, and so on. Alright, so eating disorders, to get back to that, any Christian battling with eating disorders, you must partake of the Lord's table often. You must be here when we eat the bread and drink the wine to be reminded this is the real food. This is the real satisfaction I need. 
And partake by faith. And it's, a, it's an opportunity to confess where you've sinned. To say, Lord, I've sinned by making an idol of food or an idol of my body. Please forgive me. Satisfy me with Christ. Verse 9. Grace. Verse 10. The real altar where we partake of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus, Jesus knows the reason. That's why we go to Jesus. Jesus knows the reason for every single person's eating disorder. Why do you have an eating disorder? He knows every individual need of his children, of his people. So you can come to the Lord Jesus Christ and he gives the solution. How does he do that and what are the reasons? Let, let me give them to you and we'll, we'll close with a number of, of reasons for eating disorders and the solution. I spoke to a lady, uh, must have been about three or four years ago, and she was anorexic. And at a, at a stage it was really, really bad, really thin, it's like the eye sockets are deep and the cheekbones stick far out and the collarbones stick out and really thin. And why was she anorexic? Fear. Fear of attracting the wrong attention. Fear of being hurt by people because she was raped. And she's a pretty girl and after being raped, she thought, I want to be as ugly as possible. So that no one, I won't draw the attention of men and get hurt again. What that girl needs to do is not punish herself for someone else's sin. What she needs to do is Genesis 50 verse 20 and say, Lord, what they meant for evil, you will mean for good. He will, if you trust him. He will. Another reason people struggle with eating disorders is they want to forget about their depression. Maybe something very tragic or very sad, and they feel depressed. And you know what? We've got a name for that. We call it comfort eating. And so you feel stressed or you feel depressed, so you eat. And what people like that need to understand is overeating, gluttony, won't take away the depression. It's going to make it worse. Because now I just feel guilty. And then when you feel guilty, you feel depressed, and depressed come, and you eat more. And then you feel guilty again. And you feel even worse and then you eat more. Comfort eating. It doesn't solve the problem. I want to encourage you. I preached a sermon on depression. Unfortunately, it's in Afrikaans. It's on the blog. Uh, if you do understand Afrikaans, Google Translate. I don't think it's going to do it <laughs> very good. But Depressi Baptista Kaer Kempton Park. And you can go and read that and deal with, the deal with the depression biblically. Another reason for eating disorders is people feel, I want to be in control. Especially bulimia. So bulimia, where people eat and then vomit, they binge eat and then vomit, and then after throwing up, then they, they withdraw, and now I'm not going to eat, and, and then they binge eat again, and then they throw up again, and, and it's this vicious cycle, which just continues. And so now they, they want to feel, I'm in control. I can control my weight, and I can control when I eat, and now I don't want the food and the calories in my system anymore. And so they feel in control, but you're not in control. That problem's controlling you. You've become a slave to something. And it's especially visible if you eat in secret. You, you, don't, want, you want, don't want people to judge you. So you eat in secret, and then you go to the toilet where no one's watching, and you throw up the food. You want to do that in secret. So who's controlling who? Not only is the food controlling you and the problem controlling you, people's opinions are controlling you. What, what are they going to think of me? And so you're a slave, and what you need is to be set free by Jesus Christ, and what you need is to be set free by the power of the Spirit, and what you need is the fruit of the Spirit, and one of it is self-control. 
part of its self-control. So you're not in control. Let the Spirit bring real control. Another reason people have got eating disorders is they punish themselves. Maybe they did something bad and now it's kind of a punishment, I'm not going to eat. And so they become anorexic, self-infliction, and some people, even for spiritual reasons, they've done something bad and they think by doing this they can draw God's attention. Look at how sorry I am. I'm not eating. That's Martin Luther, right? Before Luther got saved. He became so thin. You know the pictures of Luther or movies, he's quite a stocky guy. And so when he's in the monastery, he becomes really thin and the bones stick out. And he doesn't eat and he fasts for days and days and days, very often. So he becomes so thin, kind of saying to God, look at me, I'm sorry for my sin, that doesn't work. It'll never work. Because God is not drawn by what I eat or don't eat. 1 Corinthians 8 verse 8, food will not commend us to God. Eating or not eating, it won't make you more special to God. The only one that can make you special to God is His Son. Because He's the perfect one in whom the Father's delight is in Him. And so we look to Jesus and we hide in Jesus and we trust in Jesus and we turn to Jesus for forgiveness and the Father accepts you. Not food. Another reason for eating disorders is people feel rejected. You men who went to the father-daughter camp, you remember the testimony of the girl? And she's a, quite a big girl. And she gave her testimony. She was she's, she eating and eating and eating. And she says, I'm, it's like she's calling out for love. She's calling out for acceptance. Will someone love me? Because she felt my dad doesn't love me. And that's why <clears throat> she ate like that. <coughs> Overeating. <coughs> because she feels rejected. But does God look at the body? My Bible says God looks on the heart. And God will accept in His Son, Jesus Christ. You're accepted. You're accepted in the Beloved. Trust in the Lord Jesus. That's where you find your acceptance. And His love is poured upon you through the Son who died for us. Another reason for eating disorders is you, you get kids. They're this high. And they're obese. And where did they learn that? From their parents. Because they see their parents eat like that and they get the same kind of thing. You've got this little kid very big and they're following their parents' example. Or you've got this kid, she's 18 years old or 17 years old and it's like her mother is, don't touch, can't eat that, can't eat that. And you have to be perfect. This little girl or even an 11-year-old and she has to be perfect. Perfect shape, perfect body, controlled by the parents. 1 Peter 1 verse 18 is the solution to that. Jesus Christ delivers us from the foolish ways inherited from our forefathers. Whether it's overeating or undereating. Another reason for eating disorders. You eat because you are bored. <laughs> You're just bored. And so now you eat, and you eat too much, and you eat more because you're more bored, <laughs> and then you keep on eating, and you know what happens if you eat too much? Then your body feels sluggish, really lazy. And now your body's lazy, and you're bored again. And when you're bored, you eat more. And then you eat more, and your body feels even more sluggish. And, and that's just, it just keeps on going, and there's no end to that. 
What you need is 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 10. If you will not work, you will not eat. Work. Work is a good way not to be bored. Did you know that? <laughs> and work is a good way to burn calories and to burn energy. Instead of being bored and eating and burning no energy, but gaining weight. Another reason for eating disorders is hedonism. Not Hinduism. <laughs> hedonism. Hedonism means chasing pleasure. That's what you live for. Feeling happy. Getting pleasure. And you think if I just eat and eat more, it's pleasure and pleasure and eating more and eating. Pleasure. It's not pleasure. It's not pleasure. It doesn't make you happy. It doesn't bring lasting satisfaction, does it? Or anorexia, thinking I'm so thin and look at me. It doesn't bring pleasure. It doesn't make you happy. Where do you find real happiness, real satisfaction, real joy? At His right hand are pleasures forevermore. Drink of the water of life and you'll never be thirsty again. Eat of the bread of life. You'll never be hungry again, Jesus says. John 6.35 He can satisfy and bring true pleasure. I think this is the second last. Yes, second last reason for, for eating disorders is pride. And this is especially true with 18-year-olds and 19- and 20-year-old men especially. Really? I've seen that. It's like they can finish their own plate and then you, it's like you, you will not have a are you going to eat that? Oh, Dad, oh, Paul. And they want to finish that too. And it's just pride to show, I'll show you, I'll show you, I'm the man. Oh, I'll have the last word. No, you won't. Food is going to have the last word. You'll go to your grave early. Some heart condition or some what other cholesterol, all the issues that come because of that. And then the last one, uh, reason for eating disorders is no self-control. Now, someone with anorexia and bulimia, they want to they convince you I have, I'm, I'm super disciplined. I'm super, you're not disciplined. You've just traded one idol for another idol. You've just said food was my idol and I don't want that anymore. So now my own body becomes my idol. There's no self-control. You might think it's kind of a, a way of controlling yourself. It's not at all. It's not at all. The Holy Spirit alone can give real self-control where you control yourself to honor God with your body and when it comes to food and to to discipline your body and to say, I no longer live for myself, but for him who for my sake died and rose from the dead. So enjoy God's gifts. That's great. It's wonderful that you enjoy the gifts of God and that you enjoy God through his gifts. Your bry place and your split bry and your poiki and your psalmies and whatever. Because without God, who can have food and who can have enjoyment? It says in Ecclesiastes 2.25. So that's wonderful that we enjoy God. But, as I said earlier, don't turn from the giver to the gift. And we do that easy. I know that talking, talking to myself also. Just because, just because you're thin doesn't mean you haven't got an eating problem. And so we must honor the Lord and then look forward to the great feast, to the real feast we're longing for, where we'll sit in heaven at the, at the, the feast of the bride, or the bridegroom and the bride, Jesus the marriage supper of the Lamb. And you'll, when, when you understand that, when you understand that, and you understand the truth of the Word and the teaching of the Word on that, 
then you, you get set free from eating disorders like Hefzibah. I asked her permission, can I share this? Uh, Hefzibah uh, had an eating disorder. She was anorexic from the age of 17 because she was rejected. And she felt rejection by her parents. They wanted two kids and she was the third and they didn't want her. And all this rejection. And then she thought, I'm not, I'm not attractive and I'm not pretty and I'm ugly. And then she started letting go. No more eating. And then when she was a student, she would live on two provitas a day and two little triangles of Melrose cheese a day. That's her food for the day. And so it became really bad. Uh, she weighed 56 kgs, I think in grade 11, and she thought, I'm fat. And she went down to 32 kgs, so losing 26 kgs. Um, oh, you do the math. Uh, and and then, then she got saved, but she still battled. And she told me that eating disorders is harder than drugs and alcohol. Because she was a drug addict also before God saved her. But she says it's harder. You can turn your back on drugs and alcohol. You can't turn your back on food. You have to eat. So that was really hard. And then got uh, saved. And three years into her marriage, she's struggling. And now, since grade 11, standard 9, it's, turned, it's now turned from anorexia to bulimia. So bulimia now, binge eating and then vomiting. Binge eating, vomiting. And... So she, she went to different institutions to try and get help. It's really difficult. Gets married, battening this, and praying, and praying, Lord, deliver me from this. Lord, deliver me. She says, it's like, it doesn't help. It's like there's no answer. Until finally she gets it. I'm praying wrong and I'm focusing wrong. She, says, she told me, any addiction is a very selfish thing. It's all about me and poor me and why the world owes me and I've got this problem and no one cares about me until she saw it's all about him. It's all about Christ. It's all about God. And she started praying, Lord, more of you, more of you. You must increase, I must decrease. You must become more important, I must become less important. And God freed her from that. The truth will set you free. You understand the teaching of God's word. Many people will say you can never get free from that kind of thing, eating disorder. Not true. The Bible proves not true. And someone like Hefzibah's experience proves not true. If the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. Heavenly Father, we give you praise, honor and thanks. For your word that is sufficient, your word that is enough, Christ that is enough for us, the Holy Spirit is enough for us. What more do we need in life? Also to deal with this matter of eating disorders. I pray, O oh Lord, that you would help us. Whether we have a lot of weight or little weight, that we would look to ourselves and see what is wrong in the heart and look to Jesus to see where's the solution. Help me, Lord. Be merciful to me, a sinner. In Jesus' name, Amen.